listeners and friends. Welcome back. Once again, it's time for Maya, Maya Yoga Audio. And I'm your host, Megan Morgan. And I'm really thrilled to introduce Mike Sagun to you all today. Mike helps men feel. That might sound simple, but it's not as simple as we think. He's a certified professional men's coach who also spent a decade as a teaching artist working with young people who were going through different social and emotional challenges. He's delivered a TEDx talk about the need for young people to have trusted adults in their lives. And he's realized that we need more healed adults to help heal young people. And his purpose now is to create safe spaces for men to think deeply about themselves and develop emotional awareness and heal. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for making this time and effort with me today. Mm, thanks for the opportunity, Megan. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's been a pleasure just kind of, I've been following you on social media for a few years now, I want to say, mm -hmm. since I moved to California, which was nine years ago. Um, and I've been watching your TED Talk and Living Authentically Talks. So I want to encourage everybody to go to his website, um, mikesagoon.com, and I'll put that address in the show notes so that you can see them as well. I'd love, I did, you know, kind of a formal introduction of you, but I'd love for you to talk about who you are, what you do in the world, kind of how you came to be the person um, and teacher and guide that you are today. Yeah, thank you. Um, so my name is Mike Sagun, and um, where do I start? Um, I think the first thing that comes up in mind is um, I'm a Filipino-American immigrant living in Mexico. I am a gay man of color who is so, so proud of who I am. Um, Labels-wise uh, or career-wise, I'm a men's coach. And I just like what you said, I, my work is pretty simple. Um, I help men feel. And I do that by offering one-on-one -on -one coaching. I facilitate men's groups, facilitate men's emotional awareness programs. Um, and I also facilitate men's retreats. Um, and so my world is filled with the masculine and teaching men how to embrace their feminine. So it is really lovely to be in this feminine energy with you, Megan. I really feel soft and it feels homey and warm and welcoming. And so just thank you. I can feel you and your energy through the screen. And um, thank you for this opportunity. Oh, what a treasure it is. I knew as soon as I... <laughs> quote unquote, found you, you know, on the internet. <laughs> and at the time, I think you were still living in Oakland, but we're about to transition to where you are now. And, and I noticed that right away, you reached out to be like, so who are you in the world? Like, you, you, it wasn't just like this random follow on, on Instagram, you were very engaged. I'm like, this is a special person. So I've, I've been mm. trying to follow along closely with um, what you do. And there's a lot of I'm not teaching as much publicly right now, but at the time when we connected, I was teaching probably about 10 classes a week. Wow. And more and more men were coming to the classes saying that they felt like it, it's typically, you know, yoga and these healing types of spaces are very, you know, feminine focused, but, but they also were feeling the need, the pull, the call 
to come into something like that. And um, so coming across you was just like really fortuitous. I'd, I'd love for you mm-hmm. guys to give us um, just a sense of your journey, because I know you were working with students and teaching. Mm-hmm. You still are teaching and they probably still mm-hmm. are working with students in that sense. But how that moved from theater and art based to more of with the men's retreat, what's what spurred that in you? What did you have an experience with with yoga yeah. or another healing modality? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I, I think through theater, I've always been pretty embodied, mm-hmm. right? To to be a character allowed me to embody a character, but it also gave me complete permission to express and feel emotions that culturally and society, socially, I wasn't quote unquote allowed to feel. And so being on stage really allowed me to feel And it was through theater arts that I knew that I wanted to teach and work with young people. And so I went to school for education with hopes of becoming a teacher and I actually went a different route. I didn't go and get, um, I didn't didn't actually become a school teacher. I became a teaching artist through um, a healthcare organization called Kaiser Permanente. And they have a theater program that is still running today. They've been around for over 30 years. And um, they basically tour around all over California and they educate young people about making healthy decisions. And I was doing that work for about 10 years and about the seven year mark, I was working with a young woman who was going through puberty and she confided in me about um, being a a survivor of rape. And she was a survivor of um, rape over a course of seven years. And, um, you know, I, over my career with Kaiser Permanente, I worked with a lot of students who experienced sexual abuse, who are survivors of sexual abuse or rape or sexual assault. But for whatever reason, time in my life, transformation in my life, I knew that this young woman's story was really deeply connecting with my own story as a survivor of sexual abuse. And, um, and so, it was through that experience where I realized that like the work that I'm doing with young people is really powerful. I really loved helping young people. And it also spurred this curiosity of like, where the hell are there adults in their lives? Where are they? This young woman's been sexually abused and raped for seven years. And she sees an adult at least six to seven every day in her classes in middle school. And yet I'm the first person in her entire life that she's talked to me about this. And so I started to do some um, reflecting and I realized that just like my parents who weren't um, equipped to deal with trauma, other adults aren't equipped to deal with trauma, right? There's no parenting guide to teach parents about trauma-informed care. And so I realized that that's what I needed to do. Like, this was my next path. My next path was to work with adults. Um, And so I I went to coaching school. I went to CTI, Coach Coactive Training Institute. And um, it was through that experience where I realized that I wanted to work with men. Um, I was, at the time, there's all this new data around men's mental health and like depression and anxiety and suicide rates. And I just realized that there is a need for more men in the mental health space to help men access help, right? I I think we all know that men have a hard time asking for help and will oftentimes go to their grave and never ask for help. 
And so this like really kickstarted. It was also through like this TEDx talk that I gave that I really realized that, okay, like actually the adults in my life were really powerful and I really loved, I had so many mentors in my life, which I'm really grateful for, but that's not the experience of so many people, right? So many people, most of my friends growing up didn't have mentors in their life. And so I knew that my next path was to mentor men, to help men heal and to help men feel. And so the work that I do now is really, um, I like to look at it as like men's work through the lens of the autonomic nervous system, which is like the work that I do is very based in um, learning how to develop and strengthen our nervous system so that overwhelm and stress doesn't activate us to a place where we make rash decisions and decisions that are harmful. And so my passion right now is teaching men how to heal the nervous systems and to regulate their nervous systems so that they can be better men in this world. Yeah. And that's where I am. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's a snippet that's coming to mind um, that I saw on your website on one of the recorded talks. Because I was going to ask you, what is it you think men need to know most right now about leading a life of their fullest potential. And I think it was a testimonial from somebody who had taken one, gone on one of your retreats and said, like they can finally show up for themselves, but also for their partners and their families. Because right. of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I believe that one of the greatest skills that we can learn for ourselves and for our relationships is learning how to regulate ourselves when learning to know like when we are in a hyper arousal or we get into this place of anxiety or chaos or even feeling manic that we can catch ourselves and become aware of it and then have tools like breathing or yoga to down regulate so that we can be in this neutral space and in this neutral place, we can start to receive what's happening in our lives and start to create action that is beneficial and healthy for our lives and our relationships. I think one of the greatest skills, if we are having trouble in our relationships, and I think I hear this often with the clients that I work with is, my partner says they don't feel safe with me, what do I do? And I think that's very common for men to experience. And also I think it's common for men who don't know how to regulate themselves to have partners that don't feel safe with them. And I think the greatest lesson or the greatest tool that we can learn is learning how to emotionally regulate, to consciously and intentionally lower the intensity of our emotions so we can show up clear and present. And I think once we learn how to regulate and, and lower the intensity of our emotions, the people in our lives will start to lean in towards us rather than push away or defend in front of us. Does that make sense? Oh, it's the whole, it's the de-escalation. The last yeah. um, podcast we just put was about getting grounded, right? Like mm -hmm. finding your feet so that you can be like right. solid with each step that you take. I think you're right. I like the way you described that, that people will lean in rather than push away because they sense that you mm -hmm. have that calmness within you. And I get, you know, you said that earlier that you feel comfortable being here with me and I feel that safe. Like I want to <laughs> lean closer lean into the in. microphone, yeah. right? Because I'm like, yes, say more of that, say more of that. Um, yeah. I'm 
I'm curious what some of your um, non-negotiables are in terms of what you've learned, like for yourself, what you've found has had a big impact on the men that come to your retreats, or I don't know if they even work with you, perhaps one-on-one. There's breathing, there's yoga. Have you had like a yoga are you a yoga teacher? I'm not actually 100%. I'm not a yoga teacher. Okay. No, but I would consider myself a yogi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I think one of the greatest lessons that I've learned in my life is, um, I think this feels abstract, but learning how to feel. I think it's abstract because we it isn't something that we really teach in school. But feeling is really just bringing your awareness into your physiology, into your physical body and noticing how you, what sensations are present. Mm -hmm. That's what feeling is. And then we can attach emotions to that, right? We can go underneath that and say, there's pressure in my chest is anxiety or the clenching in my jaw is anger. Um, But I don't even know that most guys right now even have the vocabulary for that, right? And I think emotional awareness and emotional intelligence is one of the greatest skills or greatest lessons or maybe greatest uh, like topics that we can learn for ourselves is learning how to be more emotionally aware and more emotionally intelligent. Because even today, like we know that emotional intelligence is a greater sign of success than, um, than IQ is, right? And like where in the past, it's like been so heady, like, no, actually, like, if you want to be the best, you have to be intellectual, you have to be smarter than everyone. But what does that do for your relationships? What does being smarter than everyone in the room do for your relationships? Do you feel more connected to the people that you love? Or do you feel less connected to the people that you love? And in my experience, and over the seven years of working with men, most guys who work with me who would consider themselves an intellectual say that most of the relationships are disconnected, that they feel lonely, that they feel alone, that they felt like their entire life, they've had to be the smartest in the room so that they can get the best job and earn the best, mo- the most money so they can take care of their family, their partners, and buy all the things that they want. But where does that lead most men? Most men find that when they get to that place, of checking off all of these external motivations and external goals, then once they check that all off, that something is missing. And oftentimes what's missing is connection, connection to the self. And how do we connect? Well, we feel. We can connecting to our anxiety and connecting to our stress and connecting to our anger, that's all feeling. Similar to like connecting to the joy in our life and connecting to the gratitude in our life. That's all feeling. And so once we develop that skill of learning how to feel, we can then practice emotional safety. I think that's what we were talking about earlier is being able, like being that presence for someone to lean in and say, you feel safe to me. So I'm going to open up to you. I would say the majority of men don't know what emotional safety is. And so they walk around with tense shoulders and a scowl on their eyebrows and clenched jaws, and they don't even know it. Like they don't even have the somatic awareness to know that they are tense and they feel un- and they look unsafe. And what's interesting about that is, I think you mentioned, you alluded to it earlier, is that we can, as human beings, we are so incredible that we can intuitively and instantly notice if a person feels safe for us or not. And we notice it in their facial expressions. And this is like a lot of work around from Paul Ekman, who's an emotional scientist, and his daughter, Eve Ekman, um, the Atlas of Emotions. 
they've studied microexpressions and how microexpressions, we can read microexpressions instantly and know, like even if it's not conscious, unconsciously know that this person, oh, I, I want to talk to this person or no, I don't want to talk to this person, mm -hmm. right? And so like learning the skills to one, regulate ourselves, ground ourselves to the floor, learning the skills to label our emotions and to say I'm angry and I feel the anger in my fist or in my jaw. It's an essential skill to having healthy relationships and living a healthy life. Yeah. yeah. When it comes to like actual emotionality and you know, those big swings, those pendulum swings that we can have. And I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, it's because we grow up in the, like a binary society that says like, boys don't cry and they're tough. And they're the, at least that's what I was taught. Mm -hmm. But then girls are like overly emotional, like don't ever cry mm -hmm. at work. Don't ever, you know, but it's also accepted that <laughs> women are more emotional and men should not be quote unquote, I put that in air quotes. And I've had a few times where men have come to my class because other men or like other women in there or another person brought them saying, I think this will be a safe space for you to try yoga for the first time. And they ended up having an experience where they were just like crying and, and couldn't stop. And when we're in um, yoga teacher training, we do, you know, just like let the comfort them, like, like continue to yeah. make them feel like it's okay. I would imagine perhaps on your men's retreats that you run into a similar sort of experience, oh, yeah. not knowing how to deal with this overwhelming emotion that all of a sudden comes out. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think similar to yoga, men's work is an embodied practice, mm -hmm. right? And similar to yoga, as we move our body and we breathe into these poses, we start to open up our bodies, like physically, right? Our muscles start to stretch out and we start to release the tension in our body. And, you know, I follow the work of Bessel van der Kolk and Peter Levine, mm -hmm. your body keeps a score, right? Our bodies hold on to stress. Our bodies hold on to trauma. And if we don't give ourselves an opportunity to move and express these emotions and to move these traumas, then they get stuck and that impacts our lives. And so I think similar to these guys that are coming to uh, your classes and having these like almost cathartic experiences of like, whoa, this is an opening and I don't know why I'm crying, but I'm like in downward dog and all of a sudden I have like this increased, like increasingly amount of overwhelming emotion. I think when guys come to our retreats or work with me, they slow down enough in their bodies and their nervous systems finally have a chance to um, discharge or deactivate and it's not constantly in this activation that they have more access to these emotions and they have more access to being embodied in their experience and when that happens we get to open up right we have a we have a formula at everyman which is a men's organization that i work with um and it's rock roc and it's a formula that we use in all of our men's groups. And it's, um, it's a formula that we can follow while we are in group or while we are experiencing. And ROC stands for relax, open up, and connect. We relax our bodies. We relax our breath. We relax our nervous systems. And that allows our bodies to open up. That allows us to open up. It allows us to be vulnerable. And when we are vulnerable, that opens up a connection that allows us to connect with others. And vulnerability is what allows us to heal. It's a, it's an, um, 
vulnerability, opening up and sharing is a, um, a gift in healing. And so I think like men that go to yoga class, it's vulnerable to move like that. And there's an opening that happens for them. And so the emotions start to flood and they start to get overwhelmed with these emotions because they maybe haven't had access to that in this kind of way. That's exactly, I uh, I had a conversation with a man and I, he came to the class, had this experience and I sat with him, mm-hmm. stayed afterwards. And he just said, that's what's been missing has been an emotional and a physical connection. I'm very much ask permission, but like hands-on. So when they're in Shavasana or certain, just gently applying pressure to help them feel grounded if they're okay with it. And it kind of sent him over the edge. And he just said, I realized I hadn't been touched in any mm-hmm. kind of loving way by another mm-hmm. human being. And he mm-hmm. said, I just couldn't remember how long that had been. And it was mm-hmm. so profound for him and also for me. And then I didn't see him again. I thought, oh, and I thought of him from time to time. And then I saw him about two years later on the street, like walking his bike and he stopped and taught, you know, and we had this nice exchange. He totally remembered who I was and thanked me for that. And I'm just Beautiful. like, I still want to know, but I'm like, you know, it's enough that he had that moment to open up. And and I, you know, hope he went on to realize he, need, he needed more of that in his life. And the friend who brought him was also a regular student. Obviously she's a very good friend to know you know, mm-hmm. that he needed that exposure. What is, I don't want to dwell on, on my past. I want to ask you about your retreats, like how, I think you have, you probably have one coming up mm-hmm. and then tell us about that. And then what people can expect in that experience. Mm-hmm. I don't want them, I'm hesitating to say, I don't want people to get scared off by emotions. I want people to embrace and lean into what you're doing mm-hmm. and what you're talking about. And I think sometimes if they have a framework for what can be expected, then yeah, that yeah provides some. Ease. Yeah. So I have, I'm hosting a retreat. It's reset men's retreat and it's a nervous system reset. Um, the right guy for this is um, probably overwhelmed and stressed. They probably don't have healthy coping mechanisms to deal with stress. They probably often numb and distract themselves from feeling hard emotions like anger, stress, anxiety. Um, And they want a weekend where they can do some deep transformational work and also feel relaxed and recharged for the rest of their life. And um, the weekend is going to be, I like, I was thinking about this, but it's going to be like men's work plus spa weekend. Right, where we're gonna like, we we will have deep transformational circles. Each guy gets a hot seat and they'll do some deep transformational work, healing journeys. Um, and then there'll be opportunities throughout the weekend for men to relax and get massages, maybe get acupuncture, um, sit in nature and read, go into the sauna, um, drop into the cold plunge, go on a hike. Um, and so, um, I would say three quarters of the weekend is facilitated and work. And a, and a quarter of it is spa weekend where guys get to hang out and take care of themselves and practice these tools. Um, I am really excited about this because it's going to be an intimate group. 
um, over the last four years, I've facilitated, I've only really facilitated retreats with 60 to 75 guys. So big retreats where I have two to three other co-facilitators and a bunch of assistants. And, and this weekend is going to be me and 11 other participants. And so right now we have um, 10 spots left um, and we're filling, we're looking to, I'm looking to fill 10 more and yeah, I'm looking for guys who are willing to um, do something risky and in a healthy way, a really healthy, take healthy risks and also who um, value connection and um, value connection and also value friendship because it's kind of inevitable that guys meet their next best friend at these retreats. So yeah, I know in, in my experience of doing other um, women's retreats, that's definitely the case, uh, especially when you get such an intimate group like that. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like those barriers kind of come down a little bit. Where is this? What are the dates for this next one? And where is it going to be held? Yeah, so it's February 10th to 13th next year, 2023. And it's in my hometown, San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. And there's more information at mikesagoon.com forward slash reset. It's all in there. And um, if guys want to schedule a call with me, um, leave my email address uh, in the show notes and they can contact me. Oh, that's awesome. Now I'm going to be sharing it, I think, personally with some, some friends yeah. that I know. I know of one other um, um, guy in town here where I am in, in Sacramento who is doing something similar. I'm not sure if it's quite to the scale that yours is, but I feel like you two should meet. <laughs> yeah, so, connect us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I hope we can return for a moment. I want people to learn more about you. One of the, the mm -hmm. feedback that I get from people most is that they love the, the interviews on, on this show the most, and they just really love learning about <laughs> cool people from all over the world that are doing amazing yeah. things um, and also how they're overcoming these challenges that we all face. And I'm curious if you would share kind of what one of your biggest challenges has been. We all have numerous ones, but, you know, a lesson learned, a challenge overcome, like something that you got through that you think listeners would really take away something from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. So last weekend, um, my yoga teacher shared um, a different perspective around the hero's journey. And I think typically we think about the hero's journey of, of like, we leave home, we cross the threshold, um, it's uncertain, we slay the dragon, we develop tools and we circle back home. And the perspective that she gave last weekend was, the hero's journey is actually you getting slayed by the dragon and then rising from the ashes like a phoenix and then returning home with tools to get you back onto a new journey. And I thought that was really powerful because when I came out as a gay man, that was a dragon that slayed me. It absolutely obliterated me. I, growing up as a closeted gay boy, I, I always had suicidal ideation, but I never really thought about the plan and what I would do. And I, after I came out, it was, Again, it was like the hardest time of my life. It was just absolutely excruciatingly painful and lonely. And um, 
and that was a dragon that slayed me. And it was, um, it was through that experience of one losing a ton of people, a group Christian and almost like in this like really um, conservative culty Christian denomination. And I lost that whole community that I grew up with. I lost family members who were part of that community. Uh, and I lost uh, for a brief period, my mom who for um, six months believed that she could pray for me, um, that it was a phase and that I would get over it. And um, it was through this um, almost a year period where suicidal ideation was really present, where I felt really lonely, the loneliest that I've ever felt that I got to rise from the ashes and one, speak my truth, be honest about who I was and learn to say, you know what, if you can't accept me, then I don't need you in my life. It was where I really learned to love myself. It was also where I, how I learned how to forgive myself and also how to forgive the people in my life. And, um, and I grew up really fast because of that. I came out when I was 23 and, you know, looking back at that time, like I was still a kid, but it was like that life decision that I needed in order for me to like really turn into a man, like really set my roots down and really understand this is my authentic self. And if you can't accept that, then I just can't allow you into my space. And I've practiced that my entire life. And it's still a challenge sometimes to be authentically me because today authentically mean me also means also saying no to the things that I don't really want to do and saying no to people is hard, right? I am a people pleaser. I'm a recovering people pleaser. You might hear me say that in one of my talks. and. Um, but it's also knowing that um, that people pleaser part of me was also the part of me that helped me belong. And so it was like so much a part of like keeping me safe and then also helping me keep stay uh, or develop a community. And so every day I get to learn like what is my, my what is my most authentic self today? And that might look different tomorrow, but I, I have learned that when I check into my body, because I believe my body is wise, intellect knowledge lives up in here in my head and wisdom lives here in my body. When I check into my body and I have to make a decision, if it's a full body, yes. And it's like, yes, there's energy, there's vibrations. I could feel it and it feels good that I'm going for it and I'm making that decision. But if there's any part of my body that's like, oh, no, there's resistance there, then it's a no. And I believe that when I practice that, like my 99% um, yes is still a no, that I get to make decisions in my life that are more aligned with who I am as a person. And so even if there's like a 1% no of my decision, it's still a no. I have to be 100% yes in these decisions. And I know that by checking in with what my body wants. I I'm like... I'm chewing on that one in my brain mm -hmm. that even the 1% no, because I, I know what the body response thing and that feeling, right? You get an yeah. which is why I'm, I'm even so much more excited and honored that you came on today that, you know, when you heard from me that you were like, yes, I'm going to do this because, you know, mm -hmm. knowing that your, um, your practices are so like stringent in a sense, right? That you just really mm -hmm. narrow it down to what you're going to spend time with and what 
you're not. Um, so just thank you again for that and for yeah. to come on here. And I think that's important for people to, to chew on. Like, are you 100% in yes, yes or no? And what does that mean? Like, it, it kind of feels like it's the body's protective mechanism, really. Mm-hmm. Do you really mm-hmm. want to be here? Oh, you know what I wanted to ask you about? Yeah. When you made your transition from um, more corporate work to kind of doing this full time, was that, I mean, I have to assume that's part of you coming more into your authentic self and like, was there a catalyst or a series of events or, or what happened and, and how could you make that leap? Mm-hmm. Great question. It was hard for me to get out of bed and go to work. And that was my body's way of saying, you're not into this. Mm-hmm. But my intellect was saying, but this is powerful work. You're working with kids, you're helping kids, you're, you're triaging kids, like you're getting them resources and you get to do theater every day. And it's so fun. And you get, you like, your coworkers are awesome. You love them, they're feelers and they're creatives. And yet my intellectually, I said, this is like the perfect job. And I'm working for a healthcare organization. So I get free benefits and I get paid really well as an actor, right? And yet my body was still saying, oh my gosh, I can't, I don't want to do this. Don't want to get out of bed. I also noticed that my body um, was just, um, it didn't feel the energy that like, it didn't feel vitality. Right. And that was a clear sign for me that like, it's time for me to move in another direction. And so when I started to explore different things, yo, like I, I like was like, okay, cool. Like maybe I'm going to be a personal trainer because I loved working out and I love being my body. And like, I was like, no, that's like not doing that. Don't want to do that. My body's like, no, that's not cool. Don't like that. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to do like, um, I'm going to become a yoga instructor. And like, I like looked into that. I was like, no, that doesn't feel right either. I love yoga, but I just don't think that I can be an instructor. And then when I found coaching and I was talking to people who are coaches, it was like that leaning in feeling, right? Like what we felt earlier was like, oh, wait, tell me more. Like, oh, wait, what? And like the, the feeling in my body was joy and excitement and fear of it, but also like, I know that I want to do this. This is what I want. And I knew that because my behavior kept leading me in that direction. My behavior was always, it kept saying, cool, like what's next step here? Okay, school, cool. Okay, what's next step here? Okay, certification. Okay, what's the next step here? And my body just kept wanting more of that. I kept wanting more. And I just knew, and like, I think I've, because I, I, I think I, I'm fortunate to have always had an embodied practice through theater and yoga and working out and um, dancing and being in my body. I'm more tuned to knowing what my body needs and what it wants. And so that's, the, my body has always been my, um, my compass in many ways. It's always guided me. And then sometimes my body has guided me to like, you know, do things that it didn't, that it thought it wanted, but it was like my head getting away, which is like, let's like, let's get really drunk tonight and like feel like really drunk and like do all these dumb things. And the next morning feeling like, oh my gosh, why did I do that to my body and my body, right? And so like my body can also trick me 
into doing things that I don't necessarily, that I know that doesn't always need or want or mm -hmm. desire. It's that another teacher friend of mine um, always reinforces the word discernment to me. Mm. Like, is this really for you? Is mm -hmm. this really, even when it comes to emotion, because, you know, we talk about childhood experiences is, is this a memory? Am I taking on something like someone else's anger or emotion? Is this really mine? Does it belong to someone else? Can I leave it behind or do I need to work through it? And so that word discern, like what you were just saying, like all these things that come up, do I really want to do that <laughs> or right. go there? Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, trauma, trauma lives in the memory, right? Like trauma is not the event that happened, but it's like how your body stores it and how your body remembers that trauma. Right. And so for me and alcohol, there was a lot of trauma with alcohol. And like my my relationship with alcohol stems from a lot of trauma in my life. And so when when I see alcohol or when I'm in an environment of people drinking, my body is like, oh, cool, this feels familiar. OK, yeah, let's do that, because this is fulfilling some kind of need that I felt like I needed to fulfill to cope with some trauma when I was younger. Right. And so like so much in the memory of that. And it's like very fascinating. And this, this is also why I love the work that I do is because as I as I like I am constantly developing my awareness around my behavior and the things that I desire and then also the things that are unhealthy for me. And I make mistakes. I make mistakes mm -hmm. all the time. I make decisions that I know that are probably not the best decisions for me. And the awareness that I have allows me to say, you know what, Mike, let's practice some self-compassion here and some self-love, you know, yeah. like what part of you right now needs your love? What part of you right now needs your attention? So that like, yeah, you physically might feel like crap from drinking all night, but can you soften that a bit with how you treat yourself? And can you soften it with being kind right now? And every, and I don't drink much these days, um, but, you know, when I have done that, it's like the softening of that allows me and my body to relax and, and that inner critic to just step aside a bit, shine a light on the self-compassion and the love and the forgiveness and dim the light on the inner critic. <laughs> oh, it's, we beat ourselves up so much worse than anybody else in our lives. Mm -hmm. And it's terrible. And I love it when when people catch me been doing it and it can be the simplest little thing they'll be like ah did you just catch what you said there like do not talk to yourself like that I'm like oh you're right I would never say that to another person I wouldn't even think it but I you know somehow I think it's okay to apply to myself and we don't want to be doing stuff like that yeah in terms of memory I love what you brought up about how trauma lives um, in the body as a memory and having, from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, you grew up and lived mostly throughout California in your lifetime. In the Bay Area. In the Yeah. And now you're in Mexico. Mm -hmm. What is your, what's that experience been like? Like moving to another country, living in another country, you've completely shifted what you do from a day-to-day -day basis. Um, I just, yeah. What, what has that transition period been like? I yeah. think a lot of people are thinking about... <laughs> Yeah. moving these days so mm -hmm. yeah um it's been really fascinating um i've been here for three years mm -hmm. with my husband and 
the first year, um, in retrospect, in, in it, I was moving, it was like kind of day to day, like, okay, I'm just like kind of rolling through the motions, but in retrospect, reflecting on the first year, I was very much in survival. I didn't know the language. I didn't know anyone here. This is a new, completely new environment. I spent 30 plus years in the Bay Area with my tribe, with my community, with everything that I knew um, in the Bay Area. And my husband and I picked up our lives and moved everything that we had here to Mexico. And I was in survival mode a lot. I felt a lot of fear that mm -hmm. first year. Um, and then we hit COVID and it was like complete isolation and we didn't know what the heck was happening. And we were in COVID for, we were literally like, the only place that we went to for 10 months was a grocery store, right? And like, and we immediately come back here and isolate ourselves. And so like no hanging out with people. We had just moved here. We were just starting to make new friends. And then all of a sudden COVID hit. Um, but as things started to open up, I would say in the last year and a half, and as I've started to learn the language and also just kind of understand like how this country operates. Like it's so different here, right? Like it's a cash economy still. And so like you still have to go to a kiosk to pay for your electricity and you have to go to like an equivalent to a 7-Eleven to pay for water, right? And so like like online and internet um, like functionality and uh, interfaces just aren't really a thing here. Not yet, right? It's starting to. And, um, and also like credit cards, most people here don't really have credit cards. So people pay with cash. And so keep learning to keep cash with us, right? It's like all of these cultural things were so different and we had to learn. And I'd say in the last year and a half, it's, I, it's been incredible. I mean, we love our lives here. Um, when we return back to Oakland, um, it feels really busy. When you go back to the States, it feels really busy, but also, honestly, Megan, I feel unsafe in the United States. And, and just, and like, I think in the last year and a half, I've really developed this phobia of like being in public spaces yeah. and like not knowing like who can have a gun and like who can like be around me. And like, and so I've, I, the, like the last four or five times that I've gone back to the United States, either to New York for retreats or to LA or, even to the Bay Area, like I've always been like just a little bit more activated and more alert about my surroundings. And when I come back home, it's like a, oh, okay, now I can settle down because we just don't have that kind of violence here in Mexico. And so my life out here, our lives out here has been everything that we had hoped it would be, which is calm, regulated. We get to do what we want. And we could spend a lot of time with each other. And, and like, we're like checking off all the values in our life. And so um, it's definitely been one of the best decisions we've made for ourselves. Was there a was it because of that feeling of like no longer feeling safe in the US that kind of prompted that move or a combination of other things? I think, I think it, part of it is, was financial safety. And part of it was like political safety. Like we moved, we bought a house here in 2018. So two years after Donald Trump was elected. And like, we just, as gay men, we were like, this doesn't like, we live in the Bay Area, but also like, there's a lot of stuff happening underneath what we don't see that feels really scary for us. And, you know, both Jerry and I were working, um, uh, like really, we, we were working well-paying jobs. We had a really great salary. We had a 
great annual income. And yet we were still like, all of our money was going to food or rent or to just cost of living just to live. Right. And that was just like, it just wasn't making sense for us anymore. Like it's costing us so much just to live here in Oakland. And so when we found he came here to Mexico to teach a workshop, uh, an art workshop, and we both fell in love and we just knew immediately. And actually it was a full body. Yes. For us. Yeah. It was a complete full body. Yes. We came here and three weeks later we bought a house because wow. it was a full body. Yes. Both of us were like, nope, this is like exactly what we need to do. I was going to so, say it must've been, it had to have been to make mm -hmm. such a leap. Mm -hmm. Wow. There's another guest I had on the show about this time last year, Jupiter Lockett, who's also a, a queer artist um, from here in, in the Bay area, actually. And he was telling me about going on artist residencies in Europe and that mm. he felt the same thing. He was mm -hmm. like, Megan, and, and he's, you know, identifies as Black. He just like, people weren't afraid of me. Like, I didn't feel mm. like somebody was going to want to attack me. He said, people who didn't even know me would give me a ride from the train station to my hotel in the middle of the night, like this woman. Mm -hmm. in <laughs> and he just kept coming up with all these examples of how he felt so much more safe there and you know and identifying in, in who he was and how he could be in the world yeah. and I'm kind of hearing hearing that from you too yeah and what's interesting is like we come from Oakland and like, Oakland is like <laughs> you know what I mean like Oakland and Oakland is just like has every every gender out on the streets and like every person kind of person all the languages like within a 10-foot radius of you right it was a complete it represented the whole world oakland represents the whole world right in that sense and still we were both we felt like this is this doesn't feel like the ultimate destination for us right now yeah. and um and part of it was the financial safety but also part of it was the political safety and like being right like if you look outside the bay area like you go to central valley and a lot of central valley is red <laughs> it's like we can't be ourselves even in our own state like like we are in such a bubble here in oakland that like e even outside some spaces outside of oakland feels unsafe for us mm -hmm. yeah where where one of my daughters lives right now is in the central valley and i cannot <laughs> cannot wait for her to um i mean it's where she went to school and where they ended up getting jobs and you know it's where they are but i i feel funny in some of the, the spots when we go um yeah visit but kind of moving ahead looking towards 2023 and beyond what's kind of um what's waking your body up in terms of like for you your relationship your family your career? And then it's kind of a lofty question, but I kind of like to ask it of everybody who comes on the show, because I believe we're all, all very intuitive and, and kind of know, or at least wish, what is your wish for the world? And like what, um, however big that wants to be, whether it's global or a little more regional or, or just for the country, like, like, what are you seeing? What are you wishing? Yeah. So 2023, um, my husband and I are, one, I'm really loving that my husband and I are doing yoga together. And that's new in our relationship. And um, 
we've found a community here in San Miguel that we love. And we, um, and so I'm really excited to um, develop that part of our relationship more because it is like in many ways, it is opening us up to different possibilities because we are, we have an embodiment practice together. We have an embodied practice together. Um, in terms of career and work, I'm facilitating over four retreats next, or four or five retreats next year. And so um, I'm looking forward for to more men getting this work and finding healing in their lives. Um, and then I'm also I'm really looking forward to um, just developing my craft as a practitioner um, in men's work. And I'm doing that by, I'm, I'm starting my second year in Peter Levine's Somatic Experiencing um, Professional Development Program. And I'm really, really excited about that work and also really excited about integrating that work into the stuff that I do at retreats and programs and one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, my big vision, my, my hope, my desire for the world um, less loneliness, more connection. I, you know, we are meant to be with people. We, it's like connection is in our DNA. We are meant to be in tribes. We are meant to be in packs. We are meant to be with community. And um, my, my hope in the world is that one, people can find healing through community. And by being in community, we are in service to healing the world. We gotta start, we gotta start in our small communities first, right? We start with ourselves and then start within our community. And then it's like a ripple effect that happens after. And as we, as individuals get to heal ourselves and do our own personal work, and we invite others into that um, environment with us or that space with us, they too get to heal. And we get to heal in community. I think community healing is really important. And as we as a community heal, it starts to ripple out into other communities. And so um, connection, less loneliness, more connection. I should just hit stop <laughs> right there on the <laughs> recording. I mean, thank you so much yeah. for that. I whole wholeheartedly believe it. And in this, just even though it's virtual exchange, I feel that every time I have this work is like my life's work. I don't get mm -hmm. paid for it at the moment, but mm -hmm. it's so important to do these things that that light ourselves up and then share it with other people yeah. so they can feel it too. So thank you so much for sharing everything you did today. And you mentioned some great resources I want to repeat for people. I have read some of Peter Levine's work, but I'm going to go back and see what else that I've missed. Vessel van der Kolk, that's another one with um, the body keeps the score. And on your Instagram, you played a clip yesterday, I think, from Dr. Gabor, Gabor Mate. Yeah. He is just, every time I, I see or read or hear about his stuff, I just get like a ripple through the whole body. And he actually made an yeah. NPR reporter uh, tear up this week wow. because they were talking about his latest book, and this particular reporter, and I can't remember his name, I don't want to put it out there anyway, but he has um, 
foster children that he has adopted. And one of them was having a meltdown. And he said, you know, normally you go into this like, oh, you got to stop the crying. You got to this and that. And reading Dr. Uh, Mate's book, he realized this child never bonded with their biological parent. And this behavior is resulting because they don't know what it means. They don't know what to do. And he, you know, kind of gave instructions in the book on how to deal with it. And he was like, it completely changed the situation our relationship mm. and then he kind of stopped and I think they tried to edit it out but you could hear that he was choking up and yeah. he just sort of said like that that repaired something at least in that moment um my relationship yeah. with my child he said I'd given up hope I was kind of like oh I don't know if we're ever gonna you know get through this um so that was just incredible so thank you for sharing the the resources and mentors that have helped you I know yeah. they can help others Thanks. Yeah, another one great one is Stephen Porges' polyvagal theory. Really beautiful work. So, yeah. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's been so fun and connected and warm and lovely. I appreciate you giving me this space. Oh, that's my saying. Heart goes out to both you, you and your husband, your family, your extended community there. I'm looking forward to the day when we can meet whether you're back up in the bay area or i'm i have a couple of friends in mexico now including you so come and hang <laughs> you never know when it might translate that way so yeah that would be great um listeners i hope you will join me in appreciating mike sagoon's work by visiting his website at mike don't worry i'll put that in the show notes i'll be sure to tag him on instagram as well as on TikTok. I'm not sure if you're on there, but um, I'm not on TikTok. No. No. <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, post there. And until next time, please keep tuning in and remembering and reminding yourself that your body is an excellent compass, as Mike mm. just um, displayed for us, that embodying your life will help you to make some of the best decisions that are possible for you and your loved ones. So until next time, my friends. It's always a great time for your mind and your body to be on the mat.